0: Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com RVpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. The signals are telling me to watch liquidity, inflation, and growth into March. The macro regime is shifting almost on a monthly basis, so you better watch out in your portfolio allocation. Steno signals starts right now. Hi guys, welcome back to Stenos Signals. I think this is the ninth edition, and uh, we are still honestly overwhelmed by the feedback that we receive. Uh, it's such a pleasure to host this show week in and week out with the amount of positive feedback that uh, we get. This week, we um, we want to look a bit into the details of the so-called macro regime indicator that I've built, and um, the macro regime indicator is. An attempt to sort of gauge the underlying macro fundamentals on a monthly basis to adjust your portfolio allocation to these three major asset allocation variables. And as I mentioned in the intro, I watch liquidity, I watch inflation, and I watch growth as the three main fundamental variables for the economy. And if we look at February in hindsight now. I think it's safe to say that liquidity veined, inflation resurfaced and growth also rebounded. So we had inflation up, growth up and liquidity down. That is not necessarily a particularly good cocktail for risk assets, equities, um, and bonds overall. Uh, And the month of February had relatively lukewarm returns uh, in most asset classes, even negative returns as a consequence. This is a major change of scenery just compared to the January macro regime with liquidity going up, inflation going down, and growth going sideways to slightly up. Uh, That was a much more benign cocktail for global equities, also for bond markets, uh, and therefore I think we need to remain very vigilant each and every month when we assess the macro momentum on these three underlying variables. So I'll try to go through each of them today and how to assess them into the month of March. If we look at liquidity first, uh, probably my favorite asset allocation variable, February was a month of declining momentum. Uh, The reason was that first of all, the US dollar regained momentum. So we measure global liquidity in US dollar. And secondly, we also saw sort of a lack of momentum from the dollar liquidity addition side from the US treasury. We had anticipated a larger boost to dollar liquidity from the US treasury. I'll get back to why we didn't get that boost through February. But when we Sort of sum it all up, the liquidity actually declined by uh, a little bit more than 900 billion worth of US dollars uh, through February, which is in sharp contrast to the major increase in liquidity that we saw throughout January. So if we look just a bit ahead, what should you watch when it comes to liquidity? Well, first of all, Japan is a major contributor to global liquidity by now, since the Japanese central bank is back buying bonds at a record pace. This chart shows the holdings of Japanese government bonds by the Bank of Japan and the light blue bars, they indicate the monthly change in the holdings of uh, of government bonds. And as you can see over the past, say six to eight weeks, we've seen a record spree of buying from the Bank of Japan. And that will, of course, slowly but surely feed through to the global financial system when the Bank of Japan increases the amount of Japanese yen in circulation. What essentially happens here is that Bank of Japan buys assets from local counterparts, and they will obviously have to buy something else with these fresh new Japanese yen. And therefore, this is... major thing to watch in global liquidity. If we look on the um, other side of uh, the globe, basically on the sort of saying receiving end of of these trends from Japan. Well, one of the things that has happened over the say past six to seven months is that the Japanese accounts have started selling the uh, bonds in the US and bonds in Europe. I think the reason is that yield levels are now more attractive in Japan on a relative basis compared to Europe and the US when you adjust for the running cost of hedging the FX risk between the Japanese yen and the US dollar and the Japanese yen and the Euro. Uh, So what you need to really see the Japanese accounts back buying bonds in the US and bonds in Europe is a steepening of the dollar curve or a steepening of the Euro curve relative to the Japanese curve because that is essentially the measure that Japanese life and pension funds look at when they assess whether to buy US treasuries or German bonds, for example. And right now we essentially move in the opposite direction in the West. We flatten our yield curves, we even invert them uh, currently very deliberately um, by central banks. And um, the trends that we've seen this week with still very sticky inflation um, basically point in the direction of a further inversion of the yield curve in the US and in Europe, which means that Japanese accounts will not buy US treasuries and they will not buy German bonds either. I think this is a very bad signal for rates markets in the West, especially bonds with a slightly longer maturity. When we um, look into the dollar side of the liquidity equation, um, I almost promised you a wave of liquidity from the US Treasury. So far I've been wrong. Um, The US Treasury General account is still around 500 billion US dollars. And um, they essentially need to bring down the amount of dollars that they hold idle at the Federal Reserve. Due to the debt ceiling now being in force. And when we get closer to springtime, I ultimately expect this account to approach levels below $100 billion. But what we need for that to happen is a stronger outflow from the US Treasury. And one thing that could have triggered uh, an outflow from the US Treasury general account is the tax refunds. This is currently the peak of the tax refund season in the US, but given that we haven't really seen any material checks and handouts through 22 compared to 21 and 20, we don't have the same tax refunds in the tax refund season so far. And I think the major reason behind this is the lack of stimulus last year. Basically, uh, that means that the amount, average amount of refunds available to each and every household is not as large as it has usually been. So this is one of the reasons why the outflow from the US Treasury has not been as large as it usually is through February. Let's see through March and April, uh, we should expect at least some refunds to happen. Uh, which will allow the Treasury General account to shrink in size. And remember that commercial banks, ultimately, you and I are on the receiving end of uh, the liquidity once the refunds are being paid out. If we look at inflation through the month of March, I think the most interesting story right now is how inflation is spreading from the US to other countries globally. We've had terrible inflation numbers out of Europe just this week, um, basically showing that the wage-driven service inflation is on the up, um, running at almost 1% month over month right now, which would mean annualized inflation uh, above 10%, obviously, if we replay uh, such price increases month in and month out over the coming months. Uh, I think this is a signal that the service inflation that we've seen in the US over the past two, three decades is slowly but surely spreading first of all to Europe, but now also slowly but surely to Japan. If we look at the typical lag between service inflation in the US. And Europe, you would expect in between five and six months of lag time, while if you look at the lag between services in the US and in Japan, you should expect in between 10 and 11 months of lag time. So it essentially means that all of the service inflation that we've already seen in the US will likely slowly but surely show up elsewhere over the course of the next couple of quarters. But I actually hold relatively high hopes Of slowing inflation in the US still, even though the last few data prints that we've received have pointed clearly in the opposite direction, all agreed. If we look at medical service costs and we look at how they measure these medical service costs, first of all, in the consumer price index by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and in the PCE price index from the BEA uh, Institute, They measured in two different ways. Um, And in January, we saw a spike in medical service costs in the PCE index, but a decline of almost 0.7% on the month in the CPI report. So how come such a big difference um, given that they essentially try to measure the same thing, these two institutes? Well, first of all, in the CPI index, they measure the part of the medical bill paid by yourself, while in the PCE report, they measure both the part paid by yourself, the part paid by your employer, and the part essentially paid by the insurer. And that could be one reason for this discrepancy. The other thing that has likely happened here is that premiums have been on the up in January. So the premiums paid to insure yourself. and especially premiums relative to benefits paid out, probably peaked the lit a little bit in uh, in January, which could also explain this uh, difference between the two. And what we've seen in January last year and January 21 is that this gap between the two has closed from above, meaning that prices in the PCE index have tended to come down um, to the level seen in the CPI index over time which is an interesting uh, observation to make ahead of March, April, since uh, we should expect a decline to the PC price index of medical services in case I'm right about this pattern. Uh, and as you know, the PCE index is the main target variable for the Federal Reserve, and therefore also the variable that concerns j Powell the most. We had a major reaction in interest rate markets after the release of the PCE report in February. Um, So let's see whether we get these fading trends into March and April. That will be a game changer from an inflationary perspective in the US. If we look at sort of the broader component of the Price basket, we need to look at wages to sort of gauge whether they are on the up or on the uh, sort of declining trends. And if we look at wage trends right now, they remain clearly too sticky to take comfort in. But the best measure of wage growth, in my opinion, is the so-called employment cost index, so the ECI. The reason is that it also takes productivity into account. So it's basically the wage cost adjusted for productivity gains over the quarter. Uh, And we've seen slowing costs when we adjust them for productivity in Q4. And typically these uh, trends in the ECI they tend to lead the overall wage development in the US economy by say 3 4 quarters so that is at least a glimpse of hope that the service inflation is starting to vein slowly but surely in the US and even though we only discuss whether inflation on a yearly basis drops say from i don't know 9 to 7% the direction of travel matters uh, in the uh, US inflation index. And when you look at the 1970s as an example of why it matters, you get almost a perfect inverse correlation between the SP, uh, S&P 500 and the inflation index. So as long as inflation veins on a yearly basis, even though it looks a bit sticky still, it is actually decently good news for the equity basket. and I think that is still the scenario to expect for March and April, even though inflation looks much stickier than um, than most people had expected, including me, to be brutally honest. If we look at the growth component, um, one thing is certain: the market is is now looking for upside to growth. One way of measuring it is to look at cyclical equities in the S and P 500 relative to equities that are more defensive by nature. Uh, So consumer discretionary against healthcare, that is a simple way of understanding it. And we've seen an increase in this ratio lately through January and also through parts of February. The reason is likely that the average market participant expects some sort of growth rebound from the Chinese reopening with spillovers to the West but also a growth rebound due to a consumer being back uh, from a momentum perspective. And this is a trend that is hard to bet against unless it is clearly confirmed by hard data that we don't get a rebound. As of now, the rebound looks relatively fair to me, at least very short term before a potential setback in the second half of the year again once we get closer to this ultimate recession that we've been discussing over and over and over. If we look at the reasons why growth could rebound, um, I've actually decided to take some uh, statistics with me from Europe to showcase how big of a change of scenery we've seen for the consumer just over the past three months. We saw declining real wage growth across the West through the first nine months of 2022. But through Q4 and into the first half of 23, we've actually seen quite a decent reversal of these trends. So inflation has come down in yearly terms, while growth in wages has picked up, especially in Europe, but also to a certain extent in the US, at least relative to inflation, meaning that your purchasing power uh, gains a bit of momentum relative to what we saw last year. And that is of essence to the average consumer because it means that the amount of hardship that you've been put through quarter after quarter in 21 and 22 is now reversing from a trend perspective, meaning that you take more risk, you tend to buy more goods, you tend to buy discretionary goods when you have a bit more breathing space in your economy. Uh, And that is essentially what is happening right now. So we need to watch these real wage growth trends um, with a very high interest since they tend to forecast the consumer behavior after a while. And that is the final chart I wanted to show you on growth. Because when we see a rebound in real wage growth, it is typically a signal to buy equities. Um, And it seems counterintuitive right now to find arguments to buy equities. But this is another one of those. Inflation coming down, real wages up, meaning that the consumer can once again restore calm in the um, US equity market. So summing it all up in the macro regime indicator model, February was a month of declining liquidity increasing inflation and increasing growth. What we expect on aggregate through March is a slight increase to liquidity, not a big one, but a slight increase, inflation veining slightly in the US, but still at very um, concerning high levels, but still veining, which is enough to prompt positivity in this model setup. And then flatlining to veining growth. But as long as the consumer feels the manna from heaven from veining prices relative to wages, then this cocktail could actually prove to be decently okay for equities, but not necessarily for bonds. So to sum it all up for March, my best take is that you can stay long equities despite all of the risks looming out there. But we need to stay vigilant and we need to update these macro indicators on at least a monthly basis, if not a weekly basis. This was the ninth edition of Stenos Signals. Remember that uh, this is a window into my thinking on global financial markets and global macro. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same risk appetite or the same time horizon in your investments as I have. But what I can guarantee you is that I'll be back next week with more from the global macro landscape